Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Ten benefits of fasting and prayer. So on Tuesday, we did pretty much an introductory teaching and uh preaching on on what fasting and what prayer is and how fasting without prayer is a diet that ultimately if you're going to give power to your fasting the power in fasting is in prayer it's not in you not eating if that were the case you know many third world countries would be in revival always because it's not just eating if that were the case you know Uh, people were just going on a hunger strike and then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost would fall on them and things would start happening. But it's not just eating. If you fast and don't pray, uh, it's like C4 without a detonator. It it does you no good. So you need to pray. If you're going to set time aside to fast like we're doing right now, there has to be a drive to prayer. David said, I give myself to prayer. Give yourself over to prayer because prayer changes things. I mean, nobody's ever going to take, I mean, if you won't get prayer and uh, get devoted to prayer, you're never going to fast in the first place. But when you understand that prayer by itself carries capacity to change even the worst of scenarios and circumstances in your favor, it'll put something in you, not only to pray, but to to increase the intensity and fervency on your prayers through fasting. But I mean, if you run through the Bible, the Bible is literally a catalog of men and women who prayed and yielded many wonderful, marvelous results through their prayers. And if you're just tuning in now, I'd, I'd be very encouraged if you'd share the broadcast and get this message out to as many people as possible. And don't just share it once. You can share it multiple times through the stream. And that guarantees that it will always be the first thing on your newsfeed for your friends to see. But you, you read the whole scriptures and it's loaded. I mean, you look at Elijah. Elijah is noted in James chapter 5 as being someone who, who's not some divine agent on the earth. He wasn't some angel with a halo on his head and he was just levitating and, and flying through the world, and, and uh, he was translated and transported mysteriously everywhere he went, and he was some strange figure on planet earth. The Bible says he was a man of like nature. He had the same, he didn't have diamond skin. He had flesh. He had blood. He was flesh and blood. He was a human being. He, the Bible says he was a man of like nature, but when he prayed, when he prayed, the heavens gave rain, And the earth yielded its crop. When they were in a famine, he prayed for there to be a drought. And there was a drought. When there was when the time of the drought was to cease and finish, he prayed for there to be a for there to be rain. And the rain came. The heavens were not bronze on over his head anymore. God opened up the heavens and uh and poured out rain in abundance. The Bible says. That Jesus, when he went into the Jordan and was baptized, he came out of the Jordan and immediately, looking up to heaven, the heavens were opened and a voice came from the, from the heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So you see that even Jesus guaranteed an open heaven over his life through prayer. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, 
that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So those blessings are available to us. God has a blessing with your name on it. God has healing with your name on it. God has financial uh, prosperity with your name on it. God has breakthrough from spiritual bad spiritual habits and sin with your name on it. God has breakthrough out of the bondage of sin with your name on it. However, though those things are available to you, it seems, John Wesley said, that God can do nothing on the earth unless someone prays. It seems to me, John Wesley said this, it seems to me that God can do nothing on the earth unless man prays. That's why. That's why if you don't take responsibility in the area of prayer, your life will be given over to chance. Your life will be given over to uh, the, the, the North American cliche statement, whatever happens, happens. But you can command your life by commanding prayer. You can command your tomorrow by praying today. You don't have to leave your life to chance, to, to, to uh, you know, random series of events you can command you can take charge over your life by praying by praying god's word that's why if you don't know the word of god you won't know what's available to you if you don't understand the bible says my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge rachel what have you found to be the best way to overcome difficulty in fasting there's no way to overcome difficulty in fasting when you don't eat you're going to get hungry but if you'll read the word and make it a point to study the word and take in the word of god those times you feel hungry first of all drink plenty of water and liquids but the times you feel hungry read the word actually study the bible and you'll see that the spiritual word will actually overcome your natural hunger and i found that to be an excellent way to deal with with the difficulty in fasting um but back to what i was saying what was I saying? Back to what I was saying. The, the Bible says very clearly that when you pray, it, it produces effective change in your life. And so we, we don't have to just let things go and let things rip and hope things turn out. You can take control. The Bible says very clearly that David prayed. David prayed. And you can see that when Goliath came, when challenges came, that's why it, challenges are inevitable. Challenges are going to come. But you don't have to be powerless in overcoming those challenges. You can, you can overcome. The Bible says you're to be anxious for nothing in life. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, you are to make requests known to God. And when those requests are made in faith... The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that faith will substantialize the things that you're expecting, the things that you're hoping for. You know, prayer is not just hoping. It's not a wish. You're, we're not making wish statements to God. We're not trying to, you know, bend His arm in our favor. Prayer is, is a legal transaction between you and God where you're taking, the, you know, this is the constitution of heaven. On the earth. The Bible is the constitution of heaven on the earth. So God wrote out this constitution. 
And he's not like some politicians. They like to twist and turn around and twist and pervert the Constitution. He holds and abides by his Constitution. The Scripture says it this way. God is not a man that he should lie, nor is he the son of man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. What he said in his word, that's what he'll do. And uh, what he meant, he said, and what he said, he meant. The Bible says forever his word is settled in the heavens. Uh, David said it in Psalm 19, that your law, Lord, it restores the soul because it's perfect. It's perfect. It's not going to change. Heaven will pass away. The earth will fade away. But the word of God never changes. It abides forever. It's the incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. So you don't have to worry uh, if God's changed his mind concerning you. God will not change his mind concerning you. God already said that if you'll call on my name, I'll bless you, I'll, ex I'll elevate you, I'll promote you, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. Every man that stands in front of you shall fall for thy sake. I'll give you not just one victory, I'll give you victory after victory. I'll make you to go from glory to glory. I'll bring you from strength to strength by the Spirit of God. That's God's mind. The Bible says, I know my thoughts concerning you. I know that there are thoughts concerning you for good and not for hurt. There are thoughts concerning you for prosperity and not for harm or for destruction. So you don't have to worry if God wants, you know, which of you being parents would want something evil for their children, Jesus said. Which of you would, if his child asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a scorpion? If your child asks you, Jesus was essentially saying this, if he asks you for something that would be profitable for him why would you give him something that's harmful in that in its stead if your child asks you for an egg which he can eat and receive nutrients from are you going to give him a rock instead no because a rock does you no good God's not, if you're asking God for good things, the Bible says no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. The devil wants to get you to think that God is somehow withholding his cherished and richest blessings from you and he's trying to get you to go through life learning lessons, helter-skelter, with a chicken without its head, just running around aimlessly in life. But the Bible makes it very clear. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above the Father of lights with whom there's no shifting shadow nor variant of change. You have to get convinced that if you're, you're not going to pray if you, you're not convinced that God wants good things for you. You're not going to pray unless you're convinced that in God's hand is everything you need in life to succeed. Not just to succeed materially, but to succeed spiritually. To have to carry victory over sin, to carry victory over the devil, to carry victory over every challenge and over every scenario that would come your way. So you have to be convinced of it, just like Abraham was. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's able to perform. God, Abraham was convinced that he didn't want Sarah to stay barren. He was convinced of God's package for her life, her miracle package, which would be Isaac, because he already said, you'll have a child and you'll name his, his name Isaac, and you'll make many to laugh. That's what Isaac means. Abraham was convinced of that. That God wasn't trying to get his hopes up, only to remove the rug under his feet. And then 
have him trip up, slip up, and then say, I told you so. The Bible says that those who trust in princes, those who trust in man, will fall by their sake. Cursed is the man who trusts in the help of man. But on the flip side, Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who puts his trust in God, who makes God his firm foundation. The devil's the one who seeks to prowl like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But God has already said, if you'll come to me, if you'll follow after me, God said, I will honor you and I'll set you on high. I'll lift you up above your enemies round about. And in the midst of evil, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So that while your enemies are trying to reach for you and bring you down, you'll just be feasting on my blessings. You'll just be eating of goodness and mercy. I, I want you to write this down in the comment section. God has goodness and mercy prepared for me. God has goodness and mercy prepared for me. God does not have misery and tragedy. Romans chapter 2. Let me read this. This When this got into my spirit, because the Bible is what sets your, your anticipation for what God will do, and it also, it draws up a picture of God's perfect will for your life. The Bible draws up a picture of God's perfect will for your life. So it doesn't really matter what some backslidden preacher said it doesn't really matter what some lukewarm christian says it doesn't really matter what the devil says what the world says what matters most god's word has the final authority in everything that i do in everything that i say in everything that i am it doesn't matter what the expert anal analysis states it doesn't matter who says uh, what's coming in the next year. It doesn't matter. I know that God crowns the year with his goodness and that the paths drop down to do. It doesn't matter what they're saying the effects of COVID are going to be for a lot of people in 2021 because now, you know, it was the initial hit, but the effects will only be felt next year. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what the world states. The Bible says, and that's why I'm going I'm to tell you first and foremost on the, at, the, at the beginning of this broadcast, the Bible says God crowns the year with his goodness and his path drop down the dew i don't care what the first nine months of 2020 yielded to you it doesn't matter how you know big of a hit you took god is an expert at putting an exclamation point at the end of every year that no matter what the beginning started out like god can turn all things for your good that's why romans 8 28 says now, if you don't love God and if you're not tied into his purpose, this scripture will not be fulfilled for you. But when you love God and are tied in his purpose, the Bible says God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I want you to write that in the comment section. God is working everything out for my good. God is working everything out for my good. I'm never going to be... I'm never going to turn up short-changed. I'm never going to turn up on the downside of things. I'm always above. I'm always on top. I'm always moving forward because God works all things out for my good. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, What I has not seen, what no man has ever witnessed, what ear has never heard about, 
and was what has not even entered into the heart of man, which means what hasn't even been thought on. What, the wisdom of man can't even reach for the things that the Bible says God has prepared for those who love Him. And I love God. That's why I know you can never be a lover of God and end up on the bottom. Every lover of God will be enthroned, no matter what the devil has to say about it. Every bona fide lover of God. I'm not talking about you go to church. I'm talking about you're all in with God. There's a fire in your eye for God. The first thought in the morning is God, and the last thought at night is God. I'm talking about people that are tied into His purpose, that I'm, I'm seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. Like David, a man after God's own heart. When you are like that, I mean, look at David's life. In one chapter, he went from someone that when Jesse came to anoint David, uh, and Jesse, sorry, when Samuel came to anoint David and Jesse brought out all his sons, he left David out in the sheep, in the shepherd's field. He didn't even bring in his last son because he said that it can't be. If anyone's going to be king, it certainly will not even be David. I'm not even going to bother him. And what ended up happening? Eliab came forth who outwardly looked like a lot. You know, there's a lot of people in the church that they have a reputation of being alive. They have a reputation of being on fire for God. But really inwardly, like Jesus told the Pharisees, they're like dead men's tombs. They're full of empty bones. They're full. They're 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 whitewashed sepulchers, sepulchers full of empty bones, full of dead men's dry bones. So, I, you know, there's a lot of people who look to be Christians. That's why people ask me, can can a Christian? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Can someone who, who confessed Christ be demon-possessed? And I tell them that a someone who calls himself a Christian but is not really a Christian behind closed door can be demon-possessed. But someone who genuinely is a Christian, full of the fire of God, full of the Holy Ghost, cannot be demon-possessed. It's the same thing. Can someone who calls himself a Christian uh, live in defeat constantly throughout life? Absolutely. But can someone who's a genuine lover of God, who hooks on to this message that I'm preaching today, live in defeat? Constant defeat? I'm not talking about you had a battle that you lost. I'm talking about, you know, people always quote Job. You know, Job, you know, we have to take Job into consideration because the Bible talks about the perseverance of Job and everything Job went through. And okay, you choose to read the 18 months ordeal that Job had where things didn't go so well for him, I choose to finish the book where the Bible says at the end of Job, Job 42, that at the end of Job's 18-month ordeal, that God restored double back to Job so that whatever he lost, when he prayed for his friends that were in captivity, God restored double back to Job. That's why I'm telling you, I'm not saying that things won't come against you. I'm telling you that those things will never carry the capacity or weight of power to wipe you out. But rather on the flip side, when men say there's a casting down, God's only getting ready to lift you up so that your path is that of upward and that of brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. That will be your story in the name of Jesus Christ. So what does Romans 2 say? The Bible says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. So people that don't repent, people that don't, don't get right with God. You're treasuring up yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life 
Listen to this. Eternal life, which that word eternal life is Zoe, the life of God. The life of God to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, tribulation, anguish on every soul who does evil. So the Bible says, say unto the wicked, nothing will go well with you. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the way of the sinner is very hard. So if people, you know, people that are impenitent, like the Bible says, hard at heart, don't want anything to do with God. Flip the middle, flip the bird to God. Don't obey the truth. Walk in total violation of God's laws. Don't have any desire to serve him. There's nothing else you can expect in life but tribulation, anguish on every soul who does evil. But the verse goes on to say, verse 10, Romans 2.10. Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. Tribulation and trouble to those who work what is evil, but to those that work what is good, who are consecrated to God's purposes on the earth. Glory, honor, and peace. There is no glory in sickness. So you can know that that's not your inheritance as a child of God, as a lover of God. There's no honor in, in, in your children being sick. There's no honor in poverty. So you can know that that's not your portion as a child of the Most High God. So stop expecting those things and stop tolerating those things. Rather, use the keys I'm going to tell you about today and engage God in prayer and fasting to enforce heaven's will. Notice how Jesus didn't say that God's will will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven no matter what people do. No, Jesus specifically said, you are to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That tells you that God's will will not be enforced in your life, even if God wills for the greatest, which he does. We just read a bunch of scriptures. Even if God did that, uh, did will, that no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly, that God gives glory and grace, that he's your son and your shield, that the Bible says he opens up his hand wide and will satisfy you with every good thing. Even if God has all those things available to you jesus specifically said that there's a responsibility on our end to engage the practice of prayer and fasting so as to enforce god's will on the earth as it is in heaven now let me get to 10 benefits of prayer and fasting and if you're just tuning in now you'd encourage me a lot if you shared the broadcast i don't know why our numbers are so low today doesn't make sense to me. We had, we had a lot of people on Tuesday. I have no idea. Jo Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20, and we'll start from verse 16. So a little context. Israel's going to war against Benjamin. Benjamin has lost its mind, and it's been committing idolatry and uh, sacrifices to other gods. And so now Israel's going to war against Benjamin. Here's what happens. Among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed, everyone who could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. 
Now, besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 who drew the sword. So Benjamin has 26,000 soldiers. Israel has 400,000 soldiers. So in the natural, it looked like the numbers, you know, it looks like the numbers are on Israel's side. They had everything in the natural to secure victory over their enemy. But look what happens. So the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. And they said, which of us shall go up first to, bat to, to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord spoke, Judah first. So you have to, I want you to see this. God gave, uh, he answered their inquiry. He said, go and let Judah go, let Judah go first. So he gave them a strategy of war. They prayed and God gave a strategy. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went up to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah. And on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in battle array in the first day. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. So all they did was cry about their situation. They prayed, nothing happened, so they cried. And that's how a lot of Christians do, do things. That's how they operate. They pray about something. It doesn't turn out the way they thought it would. And so what do they do? They weep about it. But look at what God did. So they asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for, for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So, the, so he told them again, Go up. They prayed, and he said, Go. Here's the way you're going to do it. Here's the strategy to overcome your enemy. But Benjamin went up against them a second time, and they were cut down to the ground. Israel, 18,000 more people of the children of Israel who drew the sword, were cut down to the ground. And all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. But look at what they did. They didn't just weep about their situation this time. So when you see your prayers not yielding results, this is where fasting comes into play. When you pray about something and you don't see things turn the way you want them, you don't give up. You don't throw in the towel and quit. Well... You know, we prayed, but that's what lazy people do. That's what uh, defeated mentality people do. Carnally minded people do. Well, how many of you know the Bible says we, we can pray, but God's, God does what he sees fit. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> people make up things and they say the Bible says and then quote some religious jargon and think, and really that's, <laughs> that's, that's what Jesus said in Revelations, that if you add anything to my, my book, all the curses of this book will be added to your life. You can't just say the Bible says and then fill in the blank. If, if it doesn't say it, don't say that the Bible says that it says it. So what happened? They prayed. They, they didn't see the answer to their prayer. They scratched their head. They went in again, prayed. Nothing happened. So they wept, did not, went in again. Nothing happened. So what happens? The third time, then they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. So that's a six to six fast. 
And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So they prayed, they fasted, and they gave. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go out against to battle against the children of Israel, uh, against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up for, your, for tomorrow, I will deliver them into your hand. And Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So they didn't do anything different in the natural. They prayed the first time, defeat. Prayed the second time, defeat. The third time, they said, obviously our prayers are not really reaching heaven and we're not securing power with God to not just go out to battle, but to win the battle. So they switched on another switch. The art of prayer and fasting. They coupled in, they added C4 to their prayers. And they went in, and the Bible notes, as at other times. So they didn't come up with a new strategy. They didn't do something different. They did everything they were doing before. There's some people who ask me, uh, TJ, I, I fast, I, I mean, I've prayed. I've used the name of Jesus. I've pled the blood of Jesus. I, I, I've done everything. I've cast out every devil I know how to do. I, I've done everything. I, 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 I mean, there's nothing else I know to do. I've used every weapon I know there is. I've flung the oil. I've, I've used even, uh, you know, uh, the oil that comes from Israel that's spiced up the same way Leviticus tells us to spice it up. But I'm still not seeing victory. What can I do? And I tell them, Ephesians 6 says, having done all, you are to stand. And stand by mix, doing one more thing. Fast for that thing. I've done everything. But have you mixed in fasting to intensify the, the, uh, the strength of the weapons you've been impl implementing? That's what fasting does. That's why fasting by itself does nothing. But when you bring it in and use the weapons of warfare, I mean, you... <laughs> Look at the disciples. They came to a, a, a demon that they couldn't cast out. And Jesus took them privately and they asked them, what can, why couldn't we cast out that demon? They had used the name of Jesus. They had done everything they knew to do. They put oil on the board. Nothing happened. Jesus said, this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and by fasting. You secure atomic power with God when you fast. So that even if you know the, the plan of God for your life, knowing the plan of God does not mean fulfillment of the plan of God. It takes fasting and prayer to secure dynamic power with God to not only know the plan because you can know the plan like they did they knew the plan they went and acted on the plan but because they didn't have spiritual dynamite released from within they lost and they went shamefaced back to their own house but if you'll mix in that fasting with it not only secures you'll not only know the plan, you'll not only know what path to walk on, but you'll have power so that truly no man will be able to stand before you and every devil that rises up against you, the Bible says you'll have power to condemn that thing and it'll fall for your sake. So what happens? They went out and the children of Benjamin said, the Israelites will be defeated before us just as the first. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw away from the city to the highways. And then skip over to verse 35. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed that, that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. I'm going to go through 10 benefits 
of fasting and prayer out of Isaiah 58. I'm going to read it first. Isaiah chapter 58, which is the fasting chapter of the Bible. There's no clearer chapter on fasting than Isaiah 58 and what benefits it yields to you when you do fast. Because like I said before, we're not fasting to be religious. We're not fasting to fulfill some religious uh, quota. We're not fasting so that we can go around people around us and disfigure our faces and appear to men to be fasting so they can think you're more pious than everyone else. You're not fasting so that you can have a title. Oh, there's that. Oh, he fasts a lot. That's not the. Re if that's where you're fasting, then there's your reward. You'll have people look at you and say, oh, he fasts a lot. Great reward. You'll do a lot in life with that in hand. For Isaiah 58 lists the tangible benefits of fasting. Let's start with verse 6. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? I've listed 10 benefits. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you, saying, "You." Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will answer you, saying, "Here I am." If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. Then your light will dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a well-watered garden, and a spring of water whose waters never fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You will raise up the foundations of many generations. You'll be called the repairer of the breach, and the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath and from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and shall honor him, then you will delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to walk on the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 58 lists out 10 scriptural benefits of fasting and prayer number one is it will break sin and bad habits off your life romans chapter 6 says if we are in christ and have died to sin why should we walk in it any longer the bible lists in romans that when we were raised from the dead by the glory of the father just as jesus was raised from the dead the Bible says, just as we, when we were buried with him in baptism and raised back up, that was a type, that was a symbol of us being buried with Christ. And when Christ rose, we also rose from the dead, spiritually. And so it says, as a result, we are no longer slaves to sin. I'm no longer a slave or in bondage to sin. Romans 8 says that we by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, have broken free from the law of sin and death. 
The Bible says sin no longer has dominion over us that we should obey it in its laws. I mean, if you look at someone who's bound to heroin or, or some other addiction or some other sin and they can't stop. I mean, there's so many bound to pornography. And, and, and there's some people in the church that are bound to pornography and they, they genuinely want to break free from that sin. There's some of you watching me now. You, you have a genuine desire to stop smoking or to stop uh, you know, drug abuse or whatever it is, alcohol. It doesn't matter. Stop, even bad th uh, things that are hidden. Doesn't have to be an evidence sin, something we can see outwardly. Some I know there's people watching me. You have something you've tried to break free, anger in your heart, bitterness in your heart towards somebody, and you haven't successfully detached yourself from that. And you're wondering why haven't it hasn't it happened? Fasting and prayer, verse six. Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? The fasting. Fasting right will loose the bonds of wickedness. It'll break you free from long-standing sins, addictions. The Bible says a man's sins are like cords that keep him caught. Those sins, the devil's trying to hold you back from accelerating and accessing his God's glorious plan for your life. And you've been frustrated because you know there's a plan. You know God has good things ahead of you. But you know also that the scripture says the wages of sin is death. And so you've beaten yourself up and asked yourself, when shall I ever break free? I'm here to tell you in accordance with Romans 6, the Bible says specifically that we who have died in sin shall no longer live no longer live another day in it. The Bible says that we're no longer under law, but under grace. Grace is not a license to keep on sinning. It's not you, whenever you sin, you show your license to God and say, hey, remember the blood? I can keep on doing this. No, great. That's actually called insulting the spirit of grace. Grace is an empowering force that comes on you to break free from sin so that you, you shouldn't be a struggling alcoholic 10 years after getting saved. You shouldn't be a struggling drug abuser or you know still struggling with the same things you struggled with the day you got saved. Yeah, you get saved. Yeah, you might have some baggage you need to clear out, but there has to be a point a defining moment in your life where that spirit of grace comes on you and it looses the cords of sin that have kept you bound and held you back that grace is coming on you today as you engage God in fasting and prayer. I don't care what it's called. I don't care what sin it is. If it's homosexuality, if it's adultery, doesn't matter. Any sin outside, any sex outside of marriage is sin and it'll send you to hell. And I'm and marriage defined by God. I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter what it is. If it's drug abuse, if it's anger, if it's unforgiveness, if it's bitterness, and you've I'm not talking about the the um, the act of that sin. God just forgiving it, but then, you know, three days from now, you're just doing it all over again. I'm talking about the root and nature of that sin that's held you and has gripped on your life for as long as you can remember. That grip of sin loosens today and you break free. Whom the sun sets free is free and totally free indeed. Number one benefit, it looses the bonds of wickedness. It, and you know what sin does? It brings a heavy burden. Sin carries a heavy burden. It carries the weight of darkness on it. And the Bible says, come unto me, all that are weary and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. That rest is not just him forgiving you and then you just repeating the same thing over and over again. 
That rest is you not having. <laughs> I used to have a problem with alcohol. I had a major problem with drugs. I don't have those problems anymore. Not because I'm some special dude, but because I've engaged God. I, I, it's not like I, you know, I don't drink anymore, but every time I see a bottle of liquor come on a table, I, I just can't help myself. I have to leave the room. I can't even stay in it. No, it's not like, you know, every time I see someone, if I just smell the smell of marijuana in the streets, as I walk by somebody, something comes on me and I just reminisce on good time. No, I hate those things that kept me bound. David said, I hate the things that you hate. David said in Psalm 101, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I will keep myself in an up, upright way. For God is light. In him there's no darkness. And I'm a child of light. Therefore, it's not even like, it's, it's not even a temptation anymore. I don't tolerate darkness anymore in my life. If I see it on my television, I don't tolerate. I shut the thing off because I love God. And he's broken me free. Not just from the act of that sin, from, the, from sin itself. Well, you sound like you're talking, like you're perfect. I, I may not have obtained perfection yet. But I, this one thing I do, Paul said, I press towards the goal, the reward of the upward call of, of, of knowing Jesus Christ. I certainly don't sin anywhere near the, <laughs> the way I use. Now it's like it's small things that, I, that the Lord's dealing with me with, dealing with me. The way I, the, you know, it, there was a time when I was a Christian, not a couple of years back. Where I, I knew I was making jokes that weren't godly and edifying. Not that they were twisted and perverted jokes, but they weren't. I know it wasn't making God happy. And I heard the voice of God come so clearly in my spirit. And he said, why would you desire to gain man's, man's laughter and forfeit heaven's smile? And so from that day onward, I'm not, I'm still a happy, I, I love comedy. I'm a fun, I, I, if you get to know me on the side, I, I like making jokes. But I've, I've totally modified the way I joke. And if I feel a check in my spirit, I don't, I don't joke about that thing. So it's not even the big things we dealt with. It's even small things. Fasting and prayer, it purifies the flesh. Paul told Timothy, if you will cleanse yourself from the, the latter, you will be a special, honorable vessel for God, purified and prepared for every good work. So you see that? If you will, not God cleansing, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, deliver yourself like a gazelle. It's not just, Lord, I ask you, take that away from me. I'm showing you I'm more hungry for that thing to leave than anything else. I'm going to fast and pray until that thing breaks off from me once and for all. And you'll see. You can have total victory where it no longer tempts you or lures you in. Where you start to, like when I see somebody smoking pot, I, I, how could I ever have even thought to do something like that? And it's not like I get on some high horse and start pointing fingers at others. Um, Shaking my head as, no. 
It's just I'm so grateful that those things, not only do they not, they're not, I don't, I'm not bound by them anymore. It's like come to a point where I think it's ridiculous to even do those things, to drink alcohol, to do it. God can do that for you and will do it as you engage him in fasting and in prayer. Number two benefit, healing. Renewed strength in your body. Exodus 23, 25. If you'll serve the Lord your God, he'll bless your bread and your water and take sickness out of your midst. So God's will is for you to walk in health. Not just to heal you when you get sick. That scripture says that I'll take sickness out of the midst of you. Not only you get, getting healed, but that you never know what sickness is another day of your life. The Bible says in verse 8 of Isaiah 58, Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Fasting, even in the natural. Doctors have, and, and scientists have discovered that not eating for a time will cause like a regenerative streak through your body where it regenerates dead cells. It cleanses, cleanses you from unhealthy toxins and just in a natural. The Bible was ahead of science by saying if you'll fast, it, your healing will spring forth speedily. There, I'm telling you, there's no diabetes, there's no cancer, there's nothing that can stand a solid fast done right. There's nothing that can stand a fast done right. Because fasting, the Bible says, uh, when Jesus fasted 40 days and overcame the devil, he came back from that fast. Not only was he supernaturally strong, but the Bible says they brought to him all that were sick and those that were taken with palsy and paralyzed and he healed them all. Not only did it generate health in his body, but an overflow of health so that he had total dominion over sickness in other people's bodies. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights and the Bible tells at the end of his life at 120 years old, his eyes never grew dim, and his natural strength was not abated. That came on a fast. And I can go through other stories. I mean, it talked David in the Psalms. It talks about him feeling his vitality drained away. But he, he humbled himself with fasting and with prayer. And the Bible says, and you healed me, God. So fasting and prayer yields to you supernatural health and vitality and strength. The Bible says, though young men stumble badly and fall, those who wait on the Lord, and fasting and praying is a type of waiting on God. Those who wait on the Lord shall have their strength renewed and soar up high like eagles. You know, when you're fasting, you're, that I said it on Tuesday, that treasure that's in your earthen vessel is, is like heightened intensified the holy ghost is like bursting forth from the scenes themes and the bible says in romans 8 11 that the same spirit that raised christ jesus from the dead as he abides in you he quickens your mortal body fasting releases that quickening touch of the holy ghost to strengthen your mortal body hallelujah that's why if you'll do it if ever you do an extended fast you'll see that you think by day 10, you're going to be like wiped out. Day 14, day... It actually does the opposite. You're stronger. You feel more strength in your body than you did from the beginning of the fast. 
I know men of God. A.A. Allen used to do uh, 30 days of prayer and fasting just drinking water while he was conducting his crusades. And it's said that in the morning he would pay breakfast. He would, at the tent, they would have a breakfast meeting for everyone that was engaged in volunteering during these crusades. And he'd have 30, 40 day crusades. And he'd pay for breakfast and supply breakfast and food for everyone. And while they were eating, it said that he was sometimes found in his uh, chambers doing chin-ups on day 10, day 14 of a fast just to keep himself healthy and strong. I mean, you'd think the opposite. Fasting yields physical strength and power. Number two. The Bible says in verse 8, Then shall your light break forth in the morning. Fasting will bring heightened sensitivity to revelation from the Word of God. And I'll tell you why revelation from God's Word is important. Because the Bible says that God's light shines in darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it or do anything about it. And the light of God, David said, Your Word is the light to my path. So God's Word is revelation. The revelation of God's Word is what allows you and empowers you to take ground on the paths of, of God. To move forward. To secure destiny. To guarantee victory. So you need, you need revelation. Uh, Psalm 82.6 says this, They know not, neither do they understand. All their ways are unstable. So they know not, they have no revelation of my word. The Bible says, a man though he's in honor, but understands not, he's like a beast that perishes. Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs 16, chapter 16 says it this way. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. So even though you're worth all of God's riches and glory, you have everything available to you. Every blessing and promise of God is yea in Christ and amen in Christ. If you don't understand how to appropriate, if you have no revelation of the word of God, no insight, flesh and blood can't give it to you, only my Father who is in heaven. So if you have no insight, no revelation on the word of God, though you're a child of God and born again, the Bible says your, your inheritance, your reality your life will look no different from someone who doesn't even confess Christ as Savior. He who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. So, understanding God's Word. The Bible says, take firm hold of instruction. Keep her, for she's your life. The Bible says, the commandments of God are a light, and His instructions are a lamp to guide us into lands flowing with milk and honey. It is the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you. Isaiah 30, 21 says, And in that day you will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk ye therein. So that light, the wisdom to know where to go, how to get there, comes through prayer and fasting. Bishop David Oyedepo was poor as poor can be. And he went on a three-day fast once with uh, a book, called God's Will, Prosperity, and the Bible. And he went 
not just fasting and praying, Amos, he had a target. Lord, show me your, your plan of prosperity in the word. I'm tired of staying poor. He was in Nigeria, couldn't, couldn't even pay bills, couldn't, couldn't feed himself and his family. Just totally Im impoverished. Wondering, how am I going to get through in the ministry? You know, like how? So he, he, but he knew that God's not, God's not a harsh taskmaster. That the Bible says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So he went on an explorative fast with a book and the Bible. And when he came off that fast, the third day, revelation came into his spirit from the word of God. That says, it is the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Deuteronomy 8.18, that says, um, Thou shalt remember that I am the Lord your God, who giveth thee power to create wealth. And then in Deuteronomy 28, If you'll diligently hearken all my words, I'll set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come on you and overtake you. From that revelation, and it, it, you know, there's a lot of people who read those scriptures and it stays up here. Very seldom do you find people where they actually cling on. That doesn't just have this word, but keeps the word in their heart. Flesh and blood can't do that for you. Only the Father, by His Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God's word. When He enlightens your heart, He gives you full access into everything, the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. And he said, when I came to that conclusion, I stood up and I shouted from the core of my beating, I could never be poor. And that ended it for him. That ended that, that battle with poverty. And now he's, he's one of the richest, he has one of the, he has actually the most resourceful ministry on planet earth where they feed countless people. The guy, <laughs> Forbes did a, it was, for, no, New York Times interviewed him because they wanted to know what his secret was. And he just said, I love God. Then he had another revelation on another fast. Out of Exodus 23, 25. If you'll serve the Lord your God, he'll bless your bread and your water and you'll take sickness out of your midst. And from that revelation, he did the same thing. I could never be sick. Those revelations can be traced back in his life to, to a three-day fast. There's nothing a three-day fast won't break in your life. I'm telling you. <laughs> There's nothing a three-day fast while studying God's word won't get, study thy word to, to show thyself approved in that thing. That won't give you approval in the thing you're setting out to be approved in. Number, what am I on? Number four? Number four. Speedy answer to prayer is a, a benefit of fasting and prayer. I mean, we read that in Judges chapter 20. They, they prayed. Nothing happened. They got defeated. They went out again against the army of Benjamin. Benjamin prayed. Nothing happened. Then they fasted and prayed. Boom. And the Lord defeated the children of the Benjamites that day. You look in, in uh, Acts chapter 27, Paul is shipwrecked for 14 days. Nothing happens. Then they pray. He had, he had fasted 14 days. Nothing. On the 14th day, an angel came to him. They would have died on that ship had he not fasted. But the Bible says he abstained from food for 14 days. 
And after that, the angel of the Lord came to him in the night and said, Paul, the Lord has granted to you this ship and also the life of every, uh, sorry, Paul has, the Lord has granted to you your life, Paul, and the life of everyone that's on this ship. And he stood up the next day and says, an angel of the Lord, whom I belong and whom I serve, has appeared to me this night. And I believe God that it shall be exactly as I've been told. And that ended it. It wasn't a couple of, I don't know how long it was, but not long after, they saw land and they got to land. And then they were, they were taken care of by the people of Malta. Speeds up. Daniel was praying, confused about the condition of Israel for many days and years. Then finally... He says, you know what, I'm going to stain my, my mouth. I'm going to put a hand to my mouth for the next 21 days. And on the 21st day of that fast, an angel came to him and said, so he went years perplexed at what Israel was experiencing. And one 21-day fast, God showed up and said, hey, here's what we're going to do. And that broke a whole nation free. Esther, Haman was thinking of butchering had a plan signed by the king to butcher and commit holocaust for the Jews. In Esther 4.16, let me read it. Esther chapter 4 and verse 16 says this. Let's, let's start with Verse, yeah, verse 16. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Esther told them. This is what she told Mordecai and the Jews. Go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. And it came to pass, when she came before the king, she didn't have an appointment with the king. If you showed up without an appointment with the king in that day, uh, they, there was a guy who stood on guard with like a, a, a sword, like a scepter, and they just, they'd, they'd impale you. They'd launch that right through your chest because it was a disrespect, because it showed that you didn't value the king's time. Esther goes in without an appointment, but she had empowerment from God and favor from heaven. And it gave her favor with the king. She walked in and the king granted to her all her requests according to the good hand of God on my life. It sped up her, her request. It sped up the answer to her request, the fulfillment of, her, of, of what she was engaged in prayer and fasting to do, to have done. Number five, renewed spiritual fervor and passion. Revelation 2 the Bible talks about the church of Ephesus, how they did everything well, but they left their first love. Fasting will bring you back to that first love. Fasting and prayer will kindle the coal of fire. It's like God will throw us, he'll, he'll put a stoke onto the embers that seem to be weaning out of flame and heat. And he'll stoke the embers and rekindle the fire of God on your altar. Fasting and prayer does that. It causes you not to lag in diligence, but keeps you fervent in spirit, zealous for good works, so that you don't you, you, you have a guard now against lukewarmness in your spirit. 
You know, people, you should fast and pray even if you're not lukewarm now to guarantee that the fire of God on your altar never goes out. That's my only fear in life. I don't fear anything else. And it's a godly fear that the fire would never run out. That I'd always be zealous, steering one another up for good works. That like Jesus said, zeal for the house of God has consumed me. That comes by, by, by fasting and prayer. David, I'm not seeing your power at work in the sanctuary. My flesh longeth for thee. He was on a fast. And my soul thirsteth after thee. To see the power, that first love at work in me. And your power at work in the sanctuary. My soul panteth after thee as a deer panteth after the water creek. That comes by fasting and prayer. It'll put a supernatural guard against indifference in your spirit. Where you don't become some pathetic, loser North American Christian. You know. No desire for spiritual things. No drive to see God's kingdom move forward. That, that is a bad place to be. Fasting will guarantee that that never becomes you. Number six. Number six, divine direction and guidance. I talked a bit about that when I talked about your light breaking forth. But Acts 13, they fast, the Bible says, and they set apart Paul and Barnabas and they fasted and prayed. And the Holy Ghost spoke, saying, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work unto which I've called. And after fasting many days, they sent them out by the Holy Spirit. So fasting will give you the right way to go. Ask ye for the old way and wherein the good way is that you may walk therein. Fasting will highlight the good way to walk in. Gives you direction. Psalm 25 says, show me the path of life. Teach me your way. Show me your truth and lead me in it. So if you feel like you're at a crosswalk, at a crossroad in life and you don't know where to go, if you should go left or right or straight, the, the Holy Spirit will download into your spirit, man. Because the Bible says that the spirit of man is the candlestick of the Lord. Meaning that's where God guides you. It's in the spirit, in your spirit, man. So fasting gives you hypersensitivity to God's spirit, which is joined to your spirit, to know, to have those plans downloaded and installed in your spirit, to know the plan of action, to know where to go, how to get it done. So you're never lost. That's why Jesus practiced fasting and prayer. That's why when they came to him in John 6 and said, where are we going to feed all this multitude? Jesus said, uh, Jesus turned to Philip and said, where do you want us to feed them? This he said, knowing what he himself would do. Jesus knew what to do, even when it looked like there was no solution. Number seven, fasting brings restoration. Bible says in Isaiah 58, you'll restore the old places and rebuild the laid waste places that were in Zion. Fasting restores. It brings, there's a regenerative effect. It empowers restoration in your life. Let me read Joel 2. Joel chapter 2. If you're just joining me now, I encourage you to share the broadcast. It would be a great help to me. Joel chapter 2. These have been like teachings. I haven't been preaching as much on these last two. But these have been good teachings that will really 
stir you up to fast. Because the best thing to do, if you have no desire to fast, is to listen on teachings that talk about fasting. And the best thing to do when you're on a fast is to listen on listen to preaching and teachings that talk about fasting because it'll encourage you not to break fast. Joel chapter 2. Verse 12, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Turn to me with all your heart. One of the ways we show God we're engaged with all our heart is in fasting. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, He'll and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he'll turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, grain offering, and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Sanctify the congregation. And this is what this is what the Bible says will happen when you do that. Then the Lord, verse 18, Joel 2:18. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Because I will, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I'll no longer make you a reproach amongst the nations. I will remove far from you the northern army. I will drive him. That shows you uh, victory over opposition and challenges. I will drive him away into the barren and desolate land with his face towards the eastern sea and his back towards the western sea. I'll pretty much I'll swallow up your enemies so that the enemies you see in the opposition you see today, you're no longer going to see again. Fear not, O land, and be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field. For the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Verse 23, be glad therefore, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will now cause the rain. Fasting brings refreshing and restoration. He's given you the former rain faithfully, and he will now cause the 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 rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain combined together in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats will now overflow with new wine. And I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, the great army which I sent amongst you. You will now eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. I mean, that's powerful. I will restore. People always quote that. The Lord will restore the years of the locust. But what did they do? To invoke that blessing on their life. They fasted. They, they rendered unto the Lord their hearts and not just garments by praying and by fasting. If you've lost things in life. Uh, if you've, you, you've had something lost from you in these last eight years of co these last eight months of COVID-19 and things have gone down south for you quickly. Maybe you've lost, you know, uh, your marriage seems like it's been lost. Maybe it's your children. They, they it seems like relationship with your children has been lost. 
They don't want anything to do with you. Or maybe your children themselves grew up in church, but now it seems that their love for God has been lost. Do you know that it was my father fasting and praying? When I, I remember so clearly, I was in, I, I, I had, I had uh, my own liquor cabinet when I was in the, in the world, and I was walking out with a bottle of Jack Daniels to go out that night. It was like 11, 11 p.m. And I'd see my father having, having not eaten that day, and I'd say, why aren't you eating? And he said, I'm fasting for you. And I said, all right. And I'd walk out with, with liquor in my hand, go out, party, whatever, wake up the next morning, destroy, just hungover, whatnot. And he kept on fasting, seeing me going out. Don't let the evidence of what you're seeing with your eyes now, in your children, in your business, no, consider not what your eyes see. Instead, consider what God has promised you. That I'll restore. He continued. He persevered. He was fully persuaded that God promised, I'll restore the years. I'll restore your children. Great shall be the peace of your children. My father was standing on promises. That you and your house shall be, shall be saved. Blessed shall be your descendants. And the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Shall be mighty on the earth. And what does he have now? God not only saved me. He empowered me, counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. That now I'm not just saved. My whole life is spent getting other people saved. God was able to do far more abundantly everything my father was able to ask, think, or imagine. My father was probably just saying, Lord, just save him. Make sure he makes heaven. And God went a step forward and said, I'm not only going to... Hallelujah. I'm not only going to make him to make heaven. I'm going to put a fire in his bones. That when he gets up to speak about me, he'll cause many others to come to heaven as a result of his life in ministry. God can do that for my father. God can do that through me. God will restore what the enemy's taken from you. Because the strong man, the devil, he might be fully armed now, but fasting will disarm the strong men in your life. And when Jesus comes in and disarms the strong man the bible says then you can enter in plunder his house and retrieve that which was lost I, I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, whatever was lost in 29, uh, 2020, I, I'm telling you now, by the unction of the Holy Ghost, by the word of God, whatever was lost, whatever locusts have chewed away with, God's not only going to restore it to where you expected it before, he's going to blow past your expectations and do far more abundantly. All that you can ask, think, or imagine according to that anointing. What eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man that's what will be your inheritance and story as a result of God's God's power at work in you hallelujah hallelujah fasting will give you a refreshment of joy unspeakable and full of glory Bible says in Psalm 92, you will be anointed with fresh oil. And you'll grow strong like a cedar in Lebanon. David said, my cup runneth over with fresh oil. What does that oil do? The Bible calls it the oil of joy. And in order for restoration to come, depression has to go first. Depression leads to disappointment. And disappointment... A disappointment, sorry, leads to depression. 
Disappointment, if you're disappointed in something in life, you, you, you are one step closer to being depressed. Always find a way to maintain joy and guard that joy. No matter what you see going on around you. When you get disappointed, you're one step closer to depression. And depression will wipe you out. The Bible says, all the days of the afflicted, the depressed, are evil. But he that has a merry heart enjoys a continual feast. That's what fasting does. It, isn't that just totally like an oxymoron? Totally opposite? Fasting, not eating. You'd think that that'd make you even more depressed. But all it does is it actually generates joy. Because joy is not of the mind. So food doesn't feed joy. If that were the case, everyone, <laughs> you wouldn't have any sad, obese people. They'd all be the happiest people on planet earth. Food does not feed. Man liveth not by bread alone, but by every word. that Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and they became for me the joy and gladness of my heart. And that joy is steered up and bubbles up. The Bible calls it a river which makes glad the city of God. And you steer up that river and cause its constant flow when you engage God in fasting and prayer. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of heaven is not in meat and drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Number nine, the Bible says that it gives you an infusion. Sorry, it gives you victory over your enemies. Fasting, and you can read, I'll, let me read 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Bible says, and happened after this that the people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hezazan Tamar, which is En Gedi. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So he saw that there was an army aligned against him and he didn't, uh, he didn't get discouraged. He, he did what, what every Christian should do. Set himself to fear, to, he feared the Lord and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast. And what happened? This could have easily had marked the defeat of the inhabitants of Judah. This could have been the day Jehoshaphat died. But instead, because he took godly action, God took action. And let's listen to what happened. As a result of that fast, and then, you know, verses 5 through 13 lists the prayer that they prayed. Verse 14, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Menaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged because of this great multitude, for the battle isn't yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find, so look at that, that's the word of, of knowledge coming on, coming on them just through a fast and, fasting and prayer will unlock spiritual gifts, which by the way, next week, I'm going to be preaching on the baptism in the Holy Ghost and spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Spirit. So that's not going to be one you're going to want to miss. Um, but you see right here, uh, as they fasted and they prayed, it unlocked 
a spiritual gift, the word of knowledge, where God showed them the plan, the strategy of the enemy, so that when uh, they went to war the following day, they weren't surprised. They didn't get left. There wasn't a left. Uh, it wasn't like a left hook coming out of nowhere. They weren't surprised. They knew exactly what their enemy was going to do. That's what <laughs> fasting and prayer will do. When I talked about light breaking forth, it, the Lord will show you. This is about to happen. This is what you should do to avoid falling in that pit. You know, life doesn't have to be trial and error. Can't stand it. You have preachers. I mean, if you know, we win some and lose some. You don't have to lose at all in life. My son, take heed to my instruction. Let wisdom be the principal thing. And she will exalt you. She will promote you. A, great, a crown of grace and glory they'll place on your head. The years of your life will be many. When you run, your steps will not stumble. When you walk, you'll not grow weary or faint. That's in the scriptures. So look what happened. You need not fight this battle. Their fasting and prayer not only gave the strategy, but then committed God's intervention. And when God arises and takes responsibility over the battle in your life, you are a winning man. Even Gamaliel said, if this plan is of man, it'll fall to nothing. But if it is of God, hallelujah, we cannot overthrow it or overturn it. When God gets behind the battle that you're facing, it will never overturn against your faith. It'll always run in your favor. You'll always, the Bible says, through faith they subdued kingdoms. Through faith they wrought righteousness. They obtained the promises of God. What happened? You read on. Three armies against one little tiny army of Judah. And the Bible says God set ambush against them. And they began to fight each other. So that when Judah came and Joseph came to overlook the battlefield, there they were. Look at this. Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, and they looked towards the wilderness and the multitude. And there they were, dead bodies, fallen to the earth. Not one of them had escaped. Hallelujah. And they went in and plundered the spoil. And there was so much. It took them days to take in the spoil of war. Not only will fasting and prayer secure the victory, but anything that lines up against you, anything that contends with you, as you engage in fasting and prayer, not only you rise above those things, but you'll, you'll come back even stronger. You'll come back even higher. And that leads me to my next, my next point. Point number 10. Tenth benefit of fasting and prayer, amongst many others, is the Bible says in Isaiah 58, 14, I will, because you delight in me, I'll cause you to ride on the high places of the earth. Not only will you come out of that low place that the enemy sought to keep you in, you'll come out onto the high place so that the last time your foot got trapped up, it'll be the last time you ever get snared by any device or scheme of the wicked from this day forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll feed you with the inheritance and the heritage of Jacob. Supernatural favor and blessing comes on you as a result of fasting and prayer. That's why you see Esther fasted and prayer and prayed. 
And instead of her head coming off when she came before the king, the king granted to her everything she, she wanted. Ezra, the Bible says, proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava. And the Bible says, in that same Ezra chapter 8, the hand of the Lord is upon us for good. And the Lord answered our prayers as we fasted and prayed. Ezra chapter 8. It secures supernatural favor with God when you fast and pray. It puts on you like an aroma of favor. Jacob in blessing, uh, sorry, Isaac in blessing Jacob told them that the, the scent of you will be like the aroma of a field which the Lord has blessed. There's a smell of the anointing. I'm not talking about a smell your nose can detect, but there's something you can tell when someone carries the presence of God. You can tell when someone carries the favor of God. That's what happened to Daniel, a slave in Babylonian captivity, and yet people were commending him to the king, saying, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the Spirit of God. There's something about him. Joseph, even in, in prison, the prison, the prison guard put him in charge of all the prisoners. Then when, when he came before Pharaoh, Pharaoh said of, of Joseph, inasmuch as there is none as wise and as discreet as you, in whom is the Spirit of God. They detected there's something abnormal about this person. That's, that thing, that aroma of blessing comes on you through fasting, and that's what makes the difference between you rising higher and higher in life and people just like looking at you and, I don't know what it is about you. You're far less qualified than the other candidates, but if you want the job, it's yours. It's, there's, I'm telling you, it's real. Jacob had that. Laban was like obsessed with Jacob. Jacob wanted to leave. He said, no, 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 please stay. Because I've learned by experience, God has blessed everything I have because of you. Please stay, don't leave. That came as a result. That's called the, I will, the that, that, that was the heritage of Jacob. And the Bible says in fasting and prayer, God feeds you with the heritage of Jacob. Where people say, they want to be around you. You know, being a Christian, here's a novelty to some, of, some people. Being a Christian does not mean being the most miserable person in every room you enter. Being a Christian is not sucking out the joy and energy of every room you enter. You're to be the one who transmits heavenly joy. You're to be the, the pipeline from heaven where no matter what atmosphere you enter into, no matter what environment you step forth into. That's why I can't get around preachers that... <laughs> How many of you know in Africa there's, there's a demonic stronghold? It doesn't matter what stronghold's there. When I go, the thing breaks out. The, the thing breaks free because I know that greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. Well... How many of you know, you know, when you go to Montreal, the, the spiritual climate's very cold. People don't want to hear anything about God. Yeah, maybe because you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice and you look like you died three weeks ago. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to follow your God either. That's not the life of a Christian. Psalm 126, when the Lord brought the captives back, from, back to Zion, they were like those that dream. Their mouths were filled with laughter. Their tongues were joyful singing. And even the heathens, the nations, the people who don't respect God, had to concede and say, surely God has done great things for them. 
Surely God has done great things for them. It's enough of people looking to you and saying and mocking you and scoffing and scorning, saying, where is your God? Instead, from this day forward, the question will not be, where is your God? The question will be, lead me to Jesus Christ. As they see the heritage of Jacob and the tent, all nations shall see that you're a people called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear God because of it. Abraham carried that. That's why when he came to Abimelech and he said Sarah was his sister, that night Abimelech was going to sleep with Sarah and the Lord appeared to him and said, don't touch her for you're a dead man if you touch her. Don't touch. That's a man. That is a, my anointed man's wife. I'll kill you and strike you dead if you touch her. And Abimelech, hey, hey Abraham, what the heck did you try to do to me? Get away from me. I don't want to ever, I don't want to, that's why the Bible says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Because there's a fearful blessing that comes on you that when people who try to rise up against you, they have to think twice. That's what you have now. You have a generation of politicians who have never seen God really move. They grew up in dead churches, so they're haughty and arrogant, and they think that they can run run legislations against the church. They think they can implement abortions up to birth without any consequence. But they're going to find out real quick that part of the heritage of Jacob and the blessing of Abraham is when you start to touch people, start to touch the people of God, start to meddle in to God's business. The Bible says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes... His clothes not be burnt? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? There's a lot of politicians that are going to be humbled in the coming days. I believe that. In every nation of the earth. So I hope these, I hope these broadcasts encourage you to, if you've not fasted before, to take the step. We had people message me saying, man, you know, one person, I just started a fast. This is going to help me a lot. Another person, this really, like, I was discouraged because I didn't know how to fast. I I'm thankful because now it's given me, like, practical keys to fasting. I, I pray that that happens. I pray that from today, you, you don't make fasting one thing that happens, like, every three years or just when calamity strikes. But you'll take and make it a habit in your life. Set up a schedule for fasting. Either that's one day a month. If, that's, if you've never done fasting before, one day a month is, is excellent. 12 days a year. You'll have fasted 12 days a year. That's 12 days more than you ever did. And if that's too easy for you, one day a week. Three days a month. Whatever it is. You do three days a month. That's 36 days a year. That's, that's over a month of the year that you set apart and consecrated to the Lord. It's like nearly a tithe of your year so i would encourage you to take the i mean take notes if you haven't rewatched this broadcast and and study the notes take notes and study those notes and it'll it'll invigorate you and and stir you up to fast because i can tell you getting starting your fast is the hardest thing once you start to fast and you start to see these results break forth in your life it's the easiest thing to go back on a fast to stay fasting 
And I told you, I can trace most, most breakthroughs in this ministry. Most open doors that we've seen come out of the blue, back to a fast that we did. I'm fasting for meetings that are coming at the end of the month. I know God's going to move in a powerful way. Because I, I'm not interested in having some normal, ordinary ministry where we come, give our TED Talk, encourage, encourage, encourage some people, you know, get them through that week, but nothing ultimately changes. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want that. I've seen ministries that... Jesus didn't say, I chose you that you should have fruit and that ultimately your fruit will rot, but uh, one day it'll be worth it. He said, he said that, uh, that your fruit should remain. I want to produce godly fruit and not some North America, American revision of what fruit is in the eyes of God. I'm talking about book of Acts fruit where the blind eyes start to come open, deaf ears popping open. People that, I mean, I remember I was in Wildwood, Alberta. There was a, a woman who brought her son who tried to kill himself through meth. Um, he was a meth addict and he tried to kill himself because he didn't want to do meth anymore by locking himself in his garage and starting the car and rolling the windows down. And he passed out. Paramedics uh, found him there just in time so that he didn't die. Spent some time in the hospital. Lord preserved his life. Then he stepped into our meeting, still hooked on meth, not knowing what to do. Power of God came on him. Fire of God burnt off that desire, that appetite for meth. Cleaned him straight. By the end of the week, he said, I haven't had a desire to have any meth ever since you prayed. Not only that, I, I, I want to do something with my life. Do you have any Bible college or something I could, you can recommend? I want, I want to do what you do. That's what the fire of God does. Jesus came by a man that was a gathering demoniac, bound by shackles and chains. No man could free him. No man can help him. And he would break free from the shackles and would often be in the tombs and in the mountains crying out naked. And Jesus comes, sets him free, the same man's clothed, sitting in his right mind. And at the end of the chapter, it's him begging Jesus, Lord, permit me to come and follow you. Jesus said, don't come with me. They rejected me in the town that you live in, but they didn't reject you. So go into the city of Decapolis and preach to them what great things God has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. And an evangelist was risen, was raised up. That's what I'm praying. That's why, that's why I, I don't fast. <laughs> You'll come to a point once God breaks you free. That's the thing is the Christian is not to be the one in need of breakthrough constantly in life. There should be a breakthrough that you a defining moment in life where you leave the realm of the one always needing deliverance and you start to carry dominion from deliverance to dominion that now you're the one out in the highways and byways helping the one that are in need the, the, the book of acts isn't peter and john getting saved filled with the holy ghost and then going on you know government help the rest of the the rest of their life the book of Acts is them telling people, stop looking to government, look to God. And silver and God, gold we don't have. But what we do have, we have something. I have something. And I give it to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they were ministers. What's a minister? You're a minister. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. What's a minister to do? To minister the life of God 
to a loss and dying and hurting people. And that's the position you'll take from today onward in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're watching, you never, you never got saved, you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the first step in all this is you need to repent. The Bible says you're converted and, sin, and your sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. That refreshing you, you have need of will not come through alcohol, drugs. It's not going to come through by sleeping with more people. It's going to come when you get right with God. I have set before thee life and death. Choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants will live. Lisa, I'm going to pray with you right now. In Jesus' name, I pray for those kidneys to be restored now. Be healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I release the resurrection life of Christ. And that which is dead in your body springs back to life. You will not die and you won't live with this the rest of your life. You shall live. And like that Gadarene demoniac, you'll have a testimony in hand that even the people that kept saying, where is your God, will have to relinquish that position and say, truly, God is amongst you. In the name of Jesus, be healed now. In Jesus' name. If you need to get saved, pray this with me. Say this, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Where I was weak, make me strong. Wash me clean. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. Old things now pass away. Everything becomes new. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I am delivered, and I'm never turning back. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.